This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Welcome to the best of the year 2022 episode spectacular with our favorite Eric Anderson, editor-in-chief at Awards Watch. Eric, are you happy with your entertainment this year in general? <laughs> in general, yeah. It was a wonderful year. Every year is great and I, I never understand people that say, it wasn't a very good year for film. Like, I, Then you didn't see enough? I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> it was a great year. I think it's been a great year. To, I cried and I like to cry at movies. So it's this is not a complaint, but I've cried to like 99% of the movies I've seen. I very, very much the same. I mean, I'm I'm already, I'm there. I'll, if you get me, I'm, I'm in, but I don't know what this year was. Some kind of an emotional roller coaster. I mean, there were a lot of that, those kind of things for me, like personally, but Oh my God, this fall has extracted more tears from me. I don't even know. And this is a good thing, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into So our idea is that we'll do 10 favorites. Um, so these are films that have premiered in 2022. In certain territories where you're listening, may, some of the movies Eric may take or I may take may not have opened wide yet yeah and then in the uk and europe and such but these are the ones that'll be oscar year and let's just go <laughs> um it's my i'm i don't i don't have my list ranked but Me i neither. will i will start with what my favorite film of the year was uh and that was after sun uh charlotte wells directorial debut absolutely incredible debut semi-autobiographical about her and her father and paul mescal or mescal i should say paul mescal um and frankie corio newcomer first time uh actress play father and daughter on vacation in turkey and it is it's emotional, it's funny, it's beautiful. It has bar none the best ending of the year and the best use of Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure that has ever been put to film. It is, oh my God, I was a wreck. And it was fascinating. I saw that at Telluride and they were all there. And there were a lot of walkouts like a lot. And I think people were probably bored. The narrative of it is very loose. And you you have to be a part of that. You have to you have to let yourself be a part of that. It's um it pays off in the end, but you know, a slow burn is great. I love a slow burn. As the listeners will see, I'm sure we have several sort of the same and this is also on my list. If you haven't seen it, so it's Paul Mescal from Normal People and this Frankie Corio. She is just amazing. I'm wondering if you have to connect emotionally to this movie very quickly. And if you do, you're wrecked, then you're in. Um, and I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I recognized this vacation with 
you know, in my own life, um, you're in a stage in your life when you're just about you're between childhood and adulthood as she is. So certain things she's on this vacation, she's sort of hanging out with a little bit older kids, but at the same time, she has, she's still a kid with her father. We don't know exactly what's going on with him. I've tried many times to put my finger on what it is with this movie that if it grabs you, it grabs you so hard, but it is something between that connection of seeing your parents in a different light that I think if you did, if you did that as a kid, you'll connect to this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a definitely about seeing, yeah. Seeing your parents in a different light, less uh, uh, adoration and idolization of them. And she's at this age where she, she pushes back against him. She's super critical uh, about his dishonesty with money. Mm-hmm. That was that was a big that was a big one for me that I was just I don't know I connected a lot with it in very different ways nothing is it's not super binary and where it no. was a one for one ratio um but I I did connect with it I like the the era it's like mid 90s so it's a home video camera there's no cell phones but when you think about it cuz she's constantly recording him and 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 what they're doing it's similar enough to, you know, how we use our phones now to record all of these aspects of our life. But the great thing about that, the great thing about the use of video in this is that it only tells part of a story. It's you, you don't get an entire truth from it. And the way that that the video camera footage is used and introduced tells part of a story and then you get the other part of the story later and it's so fulfilling i mean we could really just talk about this movie yes we're gonna move on but (laughs) okay next let's see another favorite and this is this is going to be a thing that was not like a favorite movie of mine but a experience oh good um and that was I saw Top Gun Maverick, not in a press screening, but in, because I I had missed mine. Uh, I saw it uh, with, you know, people after it had already opened. And it was already a big hit and, and it took me a while to get to it. And I was in the theater and there were not that many people around, but there was a couple next to me, relatively close to me, probably... I want to say 60 to 70 years old and they were on a date night and they were talking about being on this date night and how, how much they love the movie and nostalgic and just, I got more, I got more from their experience of it (laughs) than I did from the movie itself, which I liked fine enough. It's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's really nothing more than that to me. Uh, I did love that. And it's it's funny because we end up seeing, you know, press screenings and festival screenings and of so many things. It that is a very different uh experience than seeing it with the general public. So when I do that, it does kind of bring me down to earth a little bit because I can I can get snobby and snooty about, you know, how I see movies and 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 this this is it was a grounding experience 
It's on my list too. I just think it's so fun that Tom Cruise saved cinema. He must have maxed out on Thetan points. Um, (laughs) And the movie's not perfect for me either, but I do think it's such a smart script for what it is. I mean, they used the original and made it in perfect ways. I mean, you got something out of it if you're nostalgic, if you're that couple you talked about. You got something out of it if you're my teenage son. And I don't think Joseph Kaczynski, the director, gets enough credit. This feels like this was the big movie experience of the year, even more so than Avatar for me. It was just... Mm -hmm. It just keeps going. And just yesterday when Tom Cruise was jumping out of planes and showing stunts, there's like, is he still alive? It's, you know, it just keeps it. There's something really fun about that. It is. But I also think that he's not going to be satisfied until he like dies on camera. No, which we'd rather not see, but I I know. Okay. He's he's just (laughs) obsessive. I'll I'll do one now. Okay. Might be on your list too. One of my absolute favorites, women talking. I was completely swept away by this movie by director Sarah Pauly, based on the Miriam Taves novel, um, based on real events, a Mennonite community. They were drugged and raped by the men of their community. And the movie, the cast is sitting in a loft and discussing, should they stay? Should they forgive the men? Or should they leave? And the cast, the topics that feel like they're talking about today it was just riveting I was taken by it and Hildur Gudnasdottir who did the music to this and to Tar to me she's just my MVP of the music year we listen to that to the women talking soundtrack while we're working Peter and I at home because it's just amazing I love that yeah that um also a Telluride uh premiere and movie and incredible experience and definitely uh, a movie that I cried very hard at this year and you know it's it's funny because I I feel bad but at the same time my connection with this was Ben Wishaw the only man in 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 the movie um and you know obviously I I come from a, a, a place of being an obsessive about actresses so I loved everybody in it but his story about how like 12 and 13 year old boys grow and what they grow into absolutely devastated me. It was, I was sobbing. It was, it was so much, but yeah, this is, it's a fascinating movie as it takes the the book takes place in Bolivia. It's very different and transplanting this to the United States and doing it in a way both visually and not letting us know the time period until much later in in the story is so smart because it it feels that kind of timeless because they're talking about things from a hundred years ago and they're talking about things from a year ago. It's really good. And I hope it's it's a movie that... I'm thinking maybe difficult to get the awards love that I'd want it to. There's so many incredible women in the cast. Maybe they won't fit into different categories. And and will this really split the Academy because it's, you know, such a female-based movie? I don't know, but I'm just really hoping that it's going to get more love. 
Yeah, it's been, uh, I guess, a little bit on the quiet side with that. And I'm a, a little bit surprised, uh, especially by the, the Globes just ignoring it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's it's also why it's getting like a lot of ensemble attention, because I think people are having a, a hard time deciding on you know, the one or two that, that, that they want to champion. Obviously, Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy are are the two that have the most time and uh, and story arc that are being campaign supporting because Rooney Mara is being campaign lead. Um, but, you know, I love Sheila McCarthy and Judith Ivey the best. They were my favorites. Yeah. And Michelle McLeod. Oh, my God. And just the whole cast. It was just incredible. All right, you go. Okay. We're down to three now. <laughs> I, boy, I'm looking at my list and I'm like, cry movie, cry movie, cry movie. All right, let's, let's, let's do something else. Um, Tar, again, another Telluride movie. I'm not intentional, but it was, I'm just like looking at my list going, oh, wait a minute. I saw a lot of these at Telluride. That was a fascinating experience because if you've seen the film, all of the credits and credits are at the beginning. And there was a point where we were all sitting and kind of looking around at each other and wondering if there was some mistake. That in was the, the same in Venice. Digital... Like, what happened? <laughs> and I thought it was fascinating. Um, I mean, I sit for the end credits of anything anyway, but what a fascinating way to do that and to establish that, yeah, nothing is a single person. It is hundreds of people, and that leads into a story of a woman who feels completely as if she is the only one that does anything. It's it's fascinating. It goes right into her to the interview with her, um, eh. I think I think Kate Blanchett continues to top herself in a way that doesn't even seem possible. It's like otherworldly how she acts. I mean, every single muscle in her body is controlled as an actress, and she's in almost every frame of this yeah. movie of two hours and thirty eight minutes. Um, I think what it has to say about cancel culture is it's really fascinating because it's really really smart uh and it's if you're coming from a a relatively i guess liberal standpoint you can understand it what i think it does is i think it says and talks about cancel culture the way that terrible people think they talk about cancel culture oh interesting yes it's it's in in a way you know you can you can watch fox news or you know b-list actors that complain about about being canceled like no this this is actually what it's about this is this is how this is i guess how a smart person talks about it i hate sounding that kind of snobby i guess but i don't um, I think Todd Field's script is so scarily on point. And th there is, you know, obviously no other point in the movie that 
underscores that than the Juilliard sequence, which is both cringy and devastating and fascinating at the same time. That's that single shot. Oh, come on. This is on my list too. I have to say the last 20 minutes didn't work as well for me as the rest of the movie. And I have talked about this movie so much that that that's it's that's also makes it one of my top experiences of the year. I still don't understand completely what he's going for at the end, which makes it so interesting. There's been all these theories and why and was it a dream or was it not a dream? We're not going to spoil anything of that, but I just think that that Mm -hmm. made it even more fascinating. And and I have no idea where it was going. Yeah, me That's, too. That's I, mean, I love that. <laughs> for for two hours and thirty eight minutes, I I was completely just enraptured. I was just I had no idea what was going to happen. I love I loved the ending. The ending ending is is brutal, almost nasty. Uh, but in in the 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 bits before that, I I know what you mean. The I don't even want know if I want to talk about it exactly but like the going back home sequence and there's a lot of questions about that sequence um that that open up possibilities if it hadn't been in there it would have been a little more cut and dry but i think the inclusion of it does it does allow you to question a lot of what you have just seen because even leading up to that it's like there's like ghost story elements in here. There's like that metronome that keeps, I mean, you just, it's, it's, it puts you off kilter in, in the best way. All right. We're so in tune here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Elvis. <laughs> Is that, that on your list? Not specifically, but I can talk about it because I love it so much. Because I wanted to include this. I wasn't sure, but when I was thinking about it, I had such a great time watching this movie. I'm a, an old Baz Luhrmann fan. If you're not, maybe it's not for you. Um, I watched it on a plane coming back from Thanksgiving. And again, I mean, I had seen it before to see. And Austin Butler is good, even on a teeniest screen with terrible headphones oh i i love it and i am also a dyed in the wool lerman fan and i think you know if you're if you're not or or if you're unfamiliar with his work it might be pretty jarring uh but you know if you like moulin rouge and you like romeo and juliet and you like great gatsby you're you're gonna love elvis because it's in exactly the same vein it's just its scope is so enormous. It's so beautifully shot. And even the absolute frenetic editing, which is pretty, you know, hallmark for a Boss Lerman movie, is totally on point here, especially in his first performance scene when the the girls in the audience are having these awakenings. And even with, you know, Tom Hanks' super creepy narration mm-hmm. of what's going on, uh, you're going back and forth to these to the these girls and to to Elvis and just it's it's I don't know. It's it's how you it's how you show the creation of a legend and a myth. And and it's a it's actually a really smart movie because it does both of those things. 
it humanizes him, but it also understands that he is an American myth, like like he's not a real person at all. And yeah, Butler is, I can't even think of anybody else at this point. Butler is so good that I'm actually worried that he'll be able to shake this off and sort of creepily says that he didn't meet his family for three years while filming this. Like, why? That was a bit unnecessary. I'm sure you could have, but he was him. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of method, I think, in that <laughs> madness. No, really good. The, the only, I, I think it's lacking in the Priscilla Presley, a little bit more writing gone into that role, but otherwise it's good. Okay, well then I have one up on you. Go ahead. Okay, Um, let's see. Uh, let's do Park Chan-wook's decision to leave. Yes. I saw that at Toronto and that I, I believe was, was a press screening. And I saw it with, uh, one of my writers, Kevin Lee next to me. And we, we left it with like an admiration. We liked it. But we kept meeting back up throughout the day to talk about it more and more. And the more we talked about it, we just, our love for it got deeper. I Exactly. And And that doesn't happen that much. Um, But we, we both separately and then together had, it just kept evolving. And Yes, the Hitchcock elements are all there. But <laughs> like Tang Wei, absolutely one of the best performances of the year, without question. I think she subverts a classic Hitchcock femme fatale in all of the best ways. Uh, first, by not being blonde, which is awesome. Um I, I think she's extraordinary. I, I I loved every bit of of how he uses visual effects subtly and carefully. Not just, you know, when they're on top of that giant rock mountain, which is has a, a, a gorgeous like artificial feel to it, the way that like North by Northwest does. Uh and then dozens of of other scenes that have just a little bit of manipulation which is great because you're watching a movie about extraordinary manipulation talk about someone who loves cinema yeah and who knows cinema (laughs) i yeah i i think i think a lot of directors it's it's a it's a careful gambit when you wear your uh your influences on your sleeve and your your homages are really there. You can it's a really fine line between feeling kind of almost like a copycat, sort of like what Brian De Palma was like in the 80s and 90s, where it was just, I'm gonna just basically do scene for scene and shot for shot of of an Alfred Hitchcock movie, and this is my style of it. And and Park, Director Park again, subverts that all the time. You know what the influences are, but it never feels like a copy. I love it. I love this movie. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. 
We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. I completely agree. So I'm going to go and talk about someone else who loves cinema. My next one is The Fablemans, another director whose love of cinema just seeps through every pore. (laughs) Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical film about his own family and his own um, connection to filmmaking and his parents. And um, you can listen to a longer discussion. You've had one and Ryan and I Mm -hmm. had one. I know that it wasn't for everyone, But for me, it just hit me being someone who really knows Spielberg and who's really thought about his arc of writing about divorces and children feeling alone and how it was just perfect. And here's someone who who doesn't also magical ends. I mean, there's so many movies this year with incredible endings. And this was another one. Is that on your list? It's not on my list, but I did like it a lot. Um, I like Gabriel LaBelle very much um yeah that 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 ending we there's a there's a lot of talk about like audacious filmmakers and Spielberg is never really called that that ending is so audacious it's and it is like there are very very few people you could count them on one hand that could pull that off with exactly the right tone and sentiment. Um, It was so risky, yet so absolutely Spielberg at the same time. Um, I liked it very much. It's corny, but it is risky and it is, it fits. I thought it fit perfectly. I do think it's fascinating the era that we're in of these late Gen X to Boomer era directors that are really feeling like telling some personal stories. It's it's they're happening quite a bit. Some better than others. (laughs) Some better than others. Yes. Um, But it's not like it hasn't always happened, but I feel like almost since like since Roma. Mm-hmm. we've seen quite a few and they're really just kind of starting to like i have to i have to tell this story if, if it might be my last it's yeah but i liked it a lot i think um i think michelle williams is really really wild in this oh i love her in this i thought she was pretty fascinating and again risky risky to to be able to to show elements of your family and parents that are not easy yeah it it is and it is a vulnerable thing to do um when you have a mother who obviously 
is you know has mental issues but at the same time i think he's he also so beautifully has come to terms with what both of them gave him how both of them melded him after spending so many decades making these movies about the bad father the good father the bad mother and and this one really feels like he's that therapy paid off yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right you go all right well sort of on that vein then and directors that need to tell some personal stories uh i loved bardo loved it wonderful that's not on my list at all and i've seen it three times both versions i saw i saw the the three hour cut at telluride which was the same one as venice which i loved it was it was a lot and I kept thinking, you know, you could cut like five minutes off of many, many, many of these sequences and, you know, it would just feel a little bit tighter. And then he did. He cut 22 minutes out of some of the the slightly more fantastical moments. And the those specific cuts were really, really perfect because then it, the movie still stays in the fantastical, uh, but it is so much more family centric now. And it just has, uh, it just had more impact for me. It's um, I, I loved, I loved what he had to say about immigration and middle feeling status of, you know, not having, not feeling like you are, that you belong whether it's in a country or in a, a time period. Uh, I I thought it was fascinating. It's just gorgeously shot and scored. Uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho is absolutely fantastic as the the stand-in in Yuritu. Um, I loved it. I, I thought the dream elements and the surreal elements were beautifully realized. And I thought the family conversations and the quote unquote real stuff um, was fantastic. It's, I don't know. Sometimes people feel like directors or actors are, are just there to, to to tell stories and not to be kind of a part of the story in a Mm -hmm. weird way. You know what I mean? Um, So sometimes something autobiographical or semi autobiographical can feel indulgent and um i know a lot of people called bardo indulgent that did not call the fablemans indulgent and they they both are or they both aren't i admire it i did not connect with it that doesn't mean i thought it was indulgent specifically or or bad i just i just didn't i mean to say another one on my list which has several of these immigrant family spectacular scenes is everything everywhere all at once, which I did connect with. I'd say top two of last year for me. Yeah. Oh, I love everything everywhere. And I mean, I, I didn't personally connect with, with Bardo and I didn't really personally connect with everything everywhere either. And, and. Well, you don't have the mother daughter thing. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but, but I, I like that. I mean, there, there are plenty of movies that are on my list and, uh, and things that impacted me that I was very like 
personally connected to, but not, not everything have had to be that for me. And I always wonder too, if I'm, if I'm personally connected or, you know, crying in this movie, does that make it a better movie or does it just make it a better one for, for me? Do I, how do, sometimes I, I don't, but that's fine, that I don't know. It is sometimes I, I I juggle how I judge something based on that. I mean, sometimes I I have to question: is is it is it best because I connected to it, or is it the best because I, of other exterior factors? So, well, I think we have both on this list. I mean, yeah, I can't say sure. that I personally connected to maverick <laughs> but i did enjoy exactly. it I see, as a sort of spectacle of hollywood it's another thing but uh but everything everywhere is on your list yeah yo as, as as a top of the year yeah yeah do you want to do the next one i will do i will do the next and i i will do something that was a very personal connection uh and one that was a hugely surprising one because sometimes you can go into a movie and go I think I know I'm going to like this and I think I'm going to know why I'm going to like this. That was not the case for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio for me, which aside from the absolutely phenomenal technical work on the animation and the stop motion and the cinematography and the sound and the score and the voice work and direction all of it i've obviously seen many versions of pinocchio before and and too many know, this year and too many this year <laughs> and yeah the origin story is has you know biblical elements and um it's just so many huge themes and metaphors and i don't know why I never connected with it before. Well, I do know why. Um, but I came from it like about halfway through uh, when, when he leaves, when he, Pinocchio leaves Geppetto. As so much more of an adoption allegory than I had ever really thought about before. I mean, we it's it's in the story, you know, He's creating and making a new son for himself to replace another. So it's kind of there already. But, you know, I'm an adopted dad now. And I, every time Geppetto would say something like mean to Pinocchio, I thought about all the times I had said something mean. Oh my God. I, yeah, I I was, it, it impacted me quite a bit. And uh, <laughs> I was, I was just in the, I couldn't even go into the, the lobby. I was hiding in the corner of this theater at AFI at the TCL Chinese. And I was just, I was hiding because I couldn't stop. I was in this like cycle. And... That kind of continued on the way, you know, out and talking to Ryan and jumping in the car with the Netflix reps. And I was just the whole car ride to the party. I was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. I had to just work it out and process it. 
and it was it was just it was just unexpected and surprising and it you know does that make it a better movie because it hit me in a personal way for me maybe yes yeah it's definitely one of my honorable mentions how he's weaved in the fascist elements and done so much more with this story than we have seen before yeah and kate blanchett as spazzatura spazzatura yes trash yes Um, a little a little little circus monkey no dialogue no dialogue just a bunch of screams and hollers Uh, and she does two great roles this year she yes Let's see. I mean, I have a whole bunch of things on my list, so uh, I'm I'm just kind of going to pull from them as I... Um, this was a really fun experience movie. A movie that I loved, but the experience was really wild. And that was White Noise. Loved it too. I, I missed it at all of my festival screenings that I, that I was at um, and ended up seeing it in San Francisco in a screening room that is barely bigger than my living room i think there's 10 seats there were three people there tiny room low ceiling the screen took up took up the whole the whole wall uh i love the movie it was vibrant and gorgeous and the screenplay is so smart and static and weird but there were just three of us And when it was funny, we laughed so hard that it felt like a room full of people. And it was such a funny communal experience between just three people. And we were all on exactly the same wavelength at the same time and laughing at the same thing and with the same veracity. Um, But I, aside from that, I love the movie. It's, on a production scale, it's phenomenal. I think Adam Driver's super funny. I want Greta Gerwig's hair. And Don uh, I Cheadle? Want... Don Cheadle is great. Oh my God. And the grocery store. I mean, come on. And again, talk about an ending to a movie? Yes. I was come waiting for that on. song to come out for months. Yes. <laughs> That was the first one I saw at Venice. And I was just like, if the festival continues like this, I'm going to be dead. A little puddle on the floor. I thought it was so good. But then <laughs> lots of people didn't like it. Lots. I just, he plays with genre. He's also someone who knows cinema because everything's in there. Adventure movies and Spielberg movies and COVID, not COVID movies. But no, it's a, it's a, it's, I mean, movies. It's, a it's a COVID mo- metaphor too. It's funny and it's subversive and it's weird as fuck in in certain places Mm -hmm. at the end. I haven't read the book. It's filmable for me because it worked for me as a movie. I know that was a big thing, but it was unfilmable. I get get that people didn't like it and it is, it's pretty subversive for Noah Baumbach um, because it, it does go into the fantastical in a way that, you know, his stuff doesn't really do he's pretty yes cut and dry with with grounded you know human stories and not a lot of artifice around it and this was both this was this was artifice both in the dialogue uh and everything that's around it but everybody in it is so good that it it completely worked for me 
I loved Me all the too. kids. The kids were amazing. Oh my god. Whose kids were they're someone's kids? It's Alessandro Nivola. Yes, his yeah. kids. Well, his they son come and daughter. Stock. <laughs> they, yeah. They were they were fantastic. And just it sort of had uh the 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 oldest, the the boy, I think Sam. Um his line readings and performance reminded me of Jesse Eisenberg in the social network, where there is sort of like this dissonance between how a real person talks and interacts with other people but very intentional uh because this you know kid is super smart and super analytical uh and not like um i don't know like just a an an average kid which is very much you know how eisenberg's uh zuckerberg was too and it just it reminded me of that uh quite a bit oh i love that movie i want to mention nope i think jordan peele is just an author i've smashes one in every single time and Hoyte van Hoytema's cinematography is amazing Kiki Palmer is just a revelation I really really had a good time yeah uh I I love it as well I love I love how many people discovered the concept of shooting day for night this year which I guess they <laughs> did not know was done or how it how that was done in the history of movies but okay sure um I think I think he was so smart in casting Kiki Palmer, who is a stupidly versatile actress. And this role plays to every single strength of hers because she is so damn funny. She is so just infectious uh, as a performer. And this is a perfect role for her. She can do anything. Yeah. Comedy, drama, uh, improv tiktoks i mean she's just she can just do anything all right go ahead i'm gonna venture into some documentary category or titles i mean they're kind of like the major ones of the of the season i'm not you know breaking through with anything wildly different um but fire of love is so fascinating um (laughs) it's it's a it has all of these wonderful classic narrative elements of of a a love story um that that you would find in in a, a narrative feature but it would just be so weird as a narrative film that you'd be like how who would even think of something like this and it is one of those uh truth is stranger than fiction stories of these two lava experts who fall in love and then succumb to the very thing that they are passionate about it's you just don't get (laughs) it is to a degree that is almost comical because there is some darkly comic elements to this metaphor of of it being all-consuming um and miranda july's narration flawless perfect she's such a great filmmaker and i'm such a fan anyway but yeah i i think this movie is ridiculous and funny and beautiful and i loved it 
And to continue on my other documentary, All the Beauty in the Bloodshed, which was really, really strong for me. It's uh, Laura Poitras about photographer Nan Golden, her own life as well, interwoven with her fight against the Sackler family and to get uh, big art institutions where her own photography is hanging to take their name off and to not accept these incredible donations that they get from Sackler family for them to be accountable for the opioid epidemic, uh, which and she herself was open about her addiction to opioids and and, uh, Purdue Pharma, which the Sackler family owns. I wasn't sure they would pull off having these two stories intertwined so strongly, her Nan Golden sort of personal life and in the fight, if one of them would be stronger than the other, if you know what I mean, like, oh, I want to see more about, you know, once you start getting into the trial and things like that. But for me, they were just equally as fascinating, both of these, and you got a picture of why she ended up where she did and the strength that she had. Yeah, that's on my list too. And it is absolutely fascinating uh, for, for all the reasons you said that it is has these two parallel stories running that seem very disconnected, but they're completely connected by her. Um, I love that it's it's really from a generation, 70s, 80s, 90s, with this type of activism of showing up at a business and covering yourself in blood and being very, very theatrical. Uh, we're, we're in the era more now of, you know, marches and, and numbers of people and, and gathering, uh, which is a very different way than, than things were, you know, in like the, the, the act up uh, era of of aids in in the 80s which is very similar to what they're what they're doing in 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 this uh so it was i mean i guess there was a certain amount of nostalgia in that as well as as this is the way that we know how to uh to combat uh oh my god i love at the, at the guggenheim oh, oh my, my god. god yeah i mean it's these these are these are this is how this is how you this is what activism was was like and she kind of carries that through uh to now basically and another movie where i was just sobbing when when in during the trial when the families are are giving their testimonials about losing their loved ones to opioid that crushed me. Um, I, I hated that it kind of had to happen during the COVID Zoom era because it definitely loses the impact of a face-to-face confrontation in a in a trial in that way. But yeah, those were yeah that happening right after the the the, the Hulu uh, series, the dope sick. Uh, uh, dope sick, which was also fantastic and and is the story and condemnation of the of the Sackler family yeah it's an it's an it's an interesting pairing too but great film great film I want to do Banshees of Inna Sharon okay uh, Martin McDonough's Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson Brendan Gleeson's character who suddenly decides that he doesn't want to be friends with uh Farrell's character and just what that means um, in terms of what is friendship, what is 
aging, what do you feel you've missed in your life? There's so many themes that I connected with here. And uh, also in terms of his sister, Carrie Condon, who's amazing and who really is a well-written role, well-acted in in a movie where I don't think Martin McDonough has a few good women in his films, but that maybe hasn't been his strongest suit. And here, she's such an incredible character who really makes decisions that had me cheering um, and crying. And Uh, I love Banshees. It is one of my favorites of the year. And it was such a huge surprise. I was not a big fan of Three Billboards um, at all. And I think this is so smart and so funny and so sad. And I mean, this is like a 1920s Irish version of being ghosted uh, on the internet and being yeah. left on red, except it's happening person to person. And Farrell's just befuddlement at not being able to, to get from Gleason why he's being shunned uh, I swear to God, Farrell's eyebrows do so much work. <laughs> they need their own Nominate the eyebrows. Like, nomination. Um, I completely agree with you about Condon. Beautifully written, beautifully realized. And yes, McDonough is not like famous for really well-written females. And, you know, I know a lot of people like Frances McDormand in, in billboards and that's great. I did not. Um, Condon is amazing here and what he does with her is amazing. Um, For me, Barry Kilgan though, is one of the best performances of the year. It is, I just posted that, that. <laughs> yeah. The, that's going that around. Clip, the clip. Uh, well, there goes that dream. Yeah. Oh my God. What he has to do in this role is so careful because essentially he's, like really on the spectrum is what he would be now. And he has to, it is such a balance, a delicate balance for him as an actor to, to play this the way he does without being uh, like mimicry or feeling, I don't know, kind of icky. And it never does. It is an absolute perfect performance. Perfect performance and and such a tragic, brilliantly written character as well. I mean, talk about Shakespearean. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. And that that was something I saw at Toronto and the audience was packed and just absolutely some of the biggest laughs of the of the festival. Just great, great audience movies. I've met very, very few that don't like this movie. So I think this is this is giving me the same vibes as Parasite. In no way the same thing as Parasite, but yeah. the same vibes that, that everyone has something that they're surprised. You're surprised by the movie. You go into it not really knowing what it is, and everyone comes out with some sort of feels. <laughs> I, I think some people have a difficult time with tonal shifts, and there are a lot in this. I mean, when... Brendan Gleeson threatens to start cutting off his own fingers if Colin Farrell says a single word to him. And then that happens over and over again. It's absurdist and it's funny, but it's also so weird. Um, There's Jenny the donkey. There's Barry Kilgan. There There is so much high, high comedy and extremely, uh, 
sad pathos in this as you know any really great story and any Shakespearean story will will have and it's I found it extremely well balanced wonderful well I have some honorable mentions that I'll go through quickly um Woman King yeah it was great Glass Onion just a fabulously good time the menu also a good time mm-hmm and I like the whale. I know it's divisive. I love Glass Onion. I loved the whale. Uh, I cried both times I saw that. Me too. <laughs> um, another two, okay, two, my two honorable mentions, again, that I cried at both because what's wrong with me in 2022 um, was Broker. I thought was so beautiful. And I mean, you know, give me a chosen family story. And again, that mixes tones all over the place really, really well. Um, and then very recently, the documentary Wildcat. Oh, right. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I interviewed the directors about a week after I saw it. It is gorgeous and beautiful and sad. Uh, you know, it's it's it's. I think you know if you're going to watch a documentary that's about nature and animals that there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be some sadness to it. So I kind of went in with that, but boy, it happens very, very fast. And it's it's a a story that's like devastating and hopeful and it's incredible. Well, I cried for 30 minutes on A Man Called Otto, which Tom Hanks is perfect in the role. Um, and I just also want to mention Barbarian, which I think for all it was as as a small horror movie, it was the best Skarsgård of the year. <laughs> I yes. had a great time with this movie. And talk about a movie that you will not see what's coming next. No, that was for over sure. Over and over again. I love Barbarian so much. Yes. Well, that was a good batch because I want to take a couple minutes here at the end to hear your worst experiences. Um. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny because I. Tr- it's not that I try not to watch bad movies, but I kind of do. So sometimes, sometimes it's you watch something that you think is going to be good, and then it's so bad that it makes it even worse. <laughs> there is there is no movie that comes even close to how bad Florian Zeller's The Sun is. That was painful. I thought that it was offensive in a way that just, it had no right to be. <laughs> you you don't, you don't put people like Hugh Jackman, Vanessa Kirby, and Laura Dern in a movie together, and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and make a movie as bad as this it's I think it's actually really what it has to say about mental illness is dangerous and awful and obvious I, I I thought it was it's easily the worst movie of the year for me but just it was a uh it was I was physically angry after it was done you and I talked about it once off camera i think (laughs) (laughs) oops it really is a terrible movie especially coming off the father um this was what a misfire and a misuse of incredible actors yeah um it's you know i don't want to 
absolutely tear down a child, but Zen McGrath's performance is absolutely awful. And I don't know how they were making it day to day going, yeah, this is, this is what we want. For me, it's blonde. That was yeah. also offensive. I, yeah. not only the film, but also the, the interviews the director did after um, yeah. his whole, I mean, I've talked about this in a whole separate show, so you can go back and listen to that if you're interested really misogynist portrayal of Marilyn with no agency at all um, and no respect for her at all. Weird abortion scenes and nothing against Anna de Armas, but um, this was a complete misfire for me. Yeah, I mean, she does absolutely everything that she can with this, but Even talk about an unfilmable book. I think this this might have shown why. But at the same time, you know, obviously Dominic was not the right person for this. You know, if somebody was going to do this and it had to be a man to do it, I think maybe someone that would have understood it a little better would have been like Paul Verhoeven. I think what he has done, you know, with female characters and with extreme notions is has been much more interesting but yeah i think i think dominic's nature is so unrelentingly cruel throughout and it's it sucks because there are so many elements of the movie that are technically so fascinating and fabulous uh, the score is gorgeous. The cinematography is beautiful. The makeup is amazing. The production design, amazing. All of that, all of the elements are there. But his approach and his tone is just relentlessly cruel. That's that's like the, that's all it is. Yeah, it's just seeing someone raped metaphorically and physically for the entire daddy, time. Daddy, 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 daddy. Just yeah. com- compare the violated women and women talking. And sure. Marilyn here I mean just and power and how much I was sobbing at something we didn't even see in women talking compared to this there it's it's a it's a while obviously being very different styles it's a great example of showing versus telling and a woman director versus a a male director it's the it's I hope it's an example that is used in the future in that in comparing those two any other ones you want to mention well i think we should probably even though we did just a little bit briefly uh mention the other pinocchio that came out with tom hanks uh that was absolutely a giant piece of shit so much so that a giant piece of shit is a big part of the movie (laughs) yeah it was its own commentary on itself should we end there? I think I think maybe <laughs> ending ending on a big piece of shit. <laughs> but we did say we did start with that it is a credible year, emotional and people telling their own stories and all these personal issues and and there are so many so many great stories. Uh, the inspection and there's just ah there's there's so many and I think I think one thing that's really interesting about this year and and how maybe it will connect awards wise and oscar wise is that a lot of these movies are 
already available either video on demand or like on HBO on a, uh, a network somewhere. Banshees is on HBO Max already. This is going to give, it's going to, it's going to shorten the, uh, the, the window obviously of, of a theatrical run, but also too, when someone reads a critic's top 10 list and they're like, I've never heard of these movies and I can't see these movies. That's going to, that line is, is, is so blurred this year. And I, and I think that's a great thing. I'm, that's nothing against the theatrical experience, which I think is paramount, but I think when you're when you're talking about the Oscars, something that's always lost is is an audience that hasn't seen movies and doesn't have anything to root for. Virtually everything will be available for a viewing audience, at least in the United States, um, by the time nominations come out. And that's a great thing. Okay, quickly, uh, which of these we've talked about will be best picture as of your predictions today, December? Oh, my God. I haven't I haven't finalized. I don't know. Um <laughs> I, I, I think I think the I think everything everywhere and Banshees being the absolute one and two with every single critics group uh is a little surprising, but kind of great. Oh you could so do great. a whole lot worse. Uh but you know that that just that makes the room for something a little more middle brow to be able to just kind of sneak in and 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 get consensus so i don't know maybe it's maybe it's the fablemans which has been my number one since like may um but i would say one of those three well we have a ways to go eric i will call but we'll do tv next time hopefully if we have time for that and and i want to wish you really happy holidays and thank you so much for coming on and for your time and and We'll see you in 2023. Yes. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) (laughs) Right.